here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, August the 17th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at a reading from the following Sunday, which is the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, August the 23rd in the year of our Lord 2020. Readings are from Isaiah 51, Romans 11, and Matthew 16. Let's take a look at Romans 11, 33 to 12, 8. It begins, Oh, the depth, the riches, and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. What does that mean? You really cannot figure out the judgments that God makes. His ways are inscrutable. A lot of times they're against human reason. Uh, For example, yesterday we had a gospel reading from Matthew 15 about a Canaanite woman that comes to Jesus asking him to heal her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus ignores her. He says nothing. The disciples finally come to him because she's crying out after them, following them around, making a lot of noise. Tell her to go away, they say. How does Jesus respond? I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. Wow. So finally the woman comes up to him and again asks for help from him. What does Jesus say? It's not proper to throw bread for the children to dogs. Wow. I saw a little comic It was about sheep who always talk about the readings. And the one sheep was complaining, wow, why is Jesus saying these things? This is a great passage to show unbelievers because no unbeliever can figure out what Jesus is doing here. And some unbelievers may even suggest, that's why I'm not a Christian, because What Jesus is saying to this poor woman is terrible. He ignores her. He's only to the lost sheep of Israel. He refers to her as a dog. Now, how do things change? She says, yes, but even the dogs eat the food that fall from the master's table. Great is your faith. You see, There are a lot of passages, I believe, that a lay person not trained in theology, the Greek, the Hebrew, the cultural situation of Jesus' day, they'll not be able to figure out what Jesus is doing. Jesus is really strange. They're in the middle of a a lake with a big storm. The disciples are trying to get water out of the boat. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Wow. What kind of help is that? 
A rich man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. If that is not a contradiction of the Bible's teaching that we're saved, not by what we do, but through faith in Jesus, I don't know what is. Now, the way that you resolve these parent statements of Jesus is by using the distinctions between law and gospel. Let's get back to the Canaanite woman. What is Jesus doing here? He's actually fulfilling what he says in the Gospel of Mark as to what his ministry is. His ministry is repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Now, there were a lot of people who saw Jesus do miracles and they did not understand the miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000. What did Jesus say? They saw the miracle, but they missed the sign. In other words, they presumed and concluded that he was to be a new bread king and chased after him, not because he was divine, not because he was God, not because he was the true Messiah in their mind, but because, guess what? Jesus could restore Israel to its former grandeur, get rid of the Romans, and everybody would have enough bread and fish to eat the rest of their lives. They missed the sign that the miracles showed that Jesus was divine. So also with the Canaanite woman, Jesus is testing her, and he's testing her in front of the disciples. Does she truly have repentance, or is she just using Jesus as a miracle worker to maybe help her out with her daughter? There's a big difference. So that's why he says the things he does. He first ignores her to see if she'll follow him. Imagine you go to your pastor and you say, well, one of my children, they were just involved in a car accident. They're at the hospital, it's serious. And the pastor ignores you. He is silent. Then you ask him, would you please come and help us? But your son is not a member of the congregation. So the pastor says, I've only been called to help those who are members of the congregation. What would you do as a parent? You'd probably go and find another church and have a very low view of that pastor. But the woman doesn't do that. She instead approaches Jesus and asks him to help her. And then he says, it's not proper to throw bread to the dogs. Now, if you were called a, go a dog by your pastor, I, I doubt whether or not you would continue to speak to him. But she does. And then when she says, help me, Jesus says what he does. And she says, but even the dogs eat from the master's table. Now, this is where you need to know the Greek. Because there's two words in the Greek for the word 
dog. One is a vicious, wild dog, and you wouldn't want to come near him. He could bite you. The other one is a household pet. Now, many older individuals, after their spouse has died, maybe don't have children, they often will buy a pet, a dog or a cat in their house to comfort them. And when I go to places where shut-ins are at in various homes, often the first thing I meet when I enter into the place is a dog. It really comforts the people. She recognizes that she is inferior to Jesus. She don't, does not mind being referred to as a dog. In fact, that's what we often confess, how inferior we are to God in our confession of sins that we're poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. And when Jesus hears those words from her, recognizes her true repentance, what does he say? Your faith, that has worked. Your daughter is healed, and she was healed instantly from the demon possession. She wasn't even there. Jesus did it from afar. This is how Jesus deals with you. How many times have you said the Lord's Prayer, forgive me my sins, but you hear no voice from God, you hear no sound, and you wonder, are my sins truly forgiven? If you want assurance of the forgiveness of sins, attend a proper worship service, where after confessing your sins, the pastor says, upon this, your confession, I forgive you your sins by the authority of God. God works through sinful pastors in order to announce to you the forgiveness of sins. And we could do a whole hour on the many times that what Jesus seems to do is contrary to what appears to be proper Christian doctrine. And once you understand law and gospel, it becomes clear. Jesus tests you. He tests the woman. Verse 34, Romans 11. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? See, a lot of people reject God because they have an imagination of what is the mind of the Lord. And, and they don't like it at all. And when they don't like what they're thinking about the Lord, they reject him. They're to counsel the Lord. Even worse, 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? See, that verse alone shows that salvation is impossible on the basis of your works or even your gifts to God. Now, you give many gifts to God. You come and praise him in worship. You may also give a contribution to the church. But do you do that in order to get repaid 
in the sense of now you're going to be able to go to heaven because you attend church, Bible study, read the Bible at home, and also give a contribution? No. You do all those gifts to God because he has already saved you. In the waters of baptism, he promises you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When Adam and Eve, prior to their falling into sin, were in the Garden of Eden, they did not presume to have created any of this. They had not planted the trees. They were already there when they were created. The trees had been created a few days earlier. But they decided to be like God. They wanted to know God's distinction between good and evil. So they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be like God. But they forgot that from him and through him and to him are all things. So chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, Paul, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Wow, there's about five sermons just in that chapter 12, verses one and two. Notice that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. What renewal? Well. You were given a new heart. The promise to David when he prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And therefore, all that God is saying here is that we ought to be doing wonderful works, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved and we ought not be conformed to this world. See, we talk a lot about nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those are people who have left the church. And you ask them, what denomination do you belong to? None. And why do they do that? Well, there's some denominations I would even leave if they don't teach about the baptism of infants, if they don't properly teach about the Lord's Supper. But a lot of them, leave the church, these nuns, because they disagree with the morality of the church. They are not opposed to abortion. They don't have any problem with homosexual lifestyles. And therefore, they've decided to be a counselor to God. And therefore, they no longer are affiliated with the true God. And they don't understand what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do we know what is God's will? It's one of the uses of the law. 
The first use is for the government to curb wickedness. The second use is for the church to show a people through the law that we are sinners in need of a savior. But the third use of the law is simply information from the Bible as to what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So Paul says, verse three, and this is kind of a private confession. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So when we were talking about the Canaanite woman, she understood that Jesus was far superior to her. He was her master, and she was only too happy to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And those crumbs could be the bread and the wine bringing to us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Or in our baptism of infants, the wonderful crumb of baptism. Paul continues, verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. What, what's Paul doing here? This is what we can refer to as a parable because all that a parable is, is a comparison between something you're aware of and comparing it to something that you may not be aware of. So Paul has taken a human body and he says, all our parts don't have the same function. For instance, the hand may be used to pick up things. The foot is used to walk. So he continues in verse five. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So we are all joined together. Christ alone is the head of the body. We're parts of the body. What, what does that mean? Verse six. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And now he goes through various gifts that are given to members of the Holy Christian Church. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now that's probably talking about pastors and teachers who are able to explain the word of God because of the faith that we have in trusting the Bible to be telling the proper gospel. If service in our serving. Now, I've been involved with a lot of congregation and there are always some individuals who love to serve. In fact, at uh, church on Sunday, 
there was an announcement that there needs to be a building that needs to be cleaned up. It's the worship area for students at the university in Macomb, Illinois. And so the individual heading it up was asking for people to come out to take care of weeds, rake up leaves, maybe do some curbing, etc. And there will be people there. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. How many times have you got a friend that's really depressed, but you know him well, he listens to you. And so you can exhort him to trust in the Lord that all things will work together. Like that Canaanite woman, she never stopped trusting Jesus. She recognized she was inferior to him because she even referred to him as the son of David. Why? Because as the son of David, Jesus was the fulfillment of through David coming the Messiah. Very important. Then going on, Paul says, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. Yes, there are, yes, even Lutherans. I, I knew one who was a billionaire and he gave quite a bit of contributions to the pro-life movement, uh, to the building of worship centers, etc., Because God had given him the gift of a lot of money, which he then decided to use in support of the church. The one who leads with zeal. Yes, last week there was a voters assembly at the church and New individuals were elected to office. Some of them stayed in the same office, etc. But they were recognized as those who were leading the church at that time. And they really do need good leaders because they're in the process of calling a full-time pastor. At this particular congregation, I'm only an interim pastor working until they get their full-time pastor. So they need good leaders who can help lead the church in a divine call. Then the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, why do you think God, uh, God uses Paul to say the word cheerfulness? Well, because what is an act of mercy? An act of grace is giving something to someone who doesn't deserve it. An act of justice is giving to them what they deserve. But an act of mercy is not giving to a person what they deserve, but giving them something even better. And therefore, acts of mercy are done towards those who may not deserve what they're receiving, like the forgiveness of sins, like telling them about the robe of righteousness 
that Christ gives to them. These are wonderful acts of mercy. And it appears that some members of the congregation are better suited to these various gifts. So I don't expect any member of the congregation, for example, to be a Sunday school teacher because not have the inclination to teach. And those who were Sunday school teachers were just marvelous. In fact, I had some Sunday school teachers that did a better job in teaching the message of Jesus Christ to kids who were three or four years old than I was able to do. I never was that good with really small kids. My forte is with teenagers, confirmation, and adults. That's what I enjoy doing. That's where my gifts are. So a congregation needs to understand in calling a pastor what kind of gifts they need. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to hear myself, Tom Baker, and another pastor with gifts in preaching, Mark Smith, discuss the hymn, Built on the Rock, the Church Does Stand. Join us in tomorrow's Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.